Let's go, girls. From New York City to Los Angeles, Powered Up with Beck and Franklin is giving women of all ages permission to live the life they've always dreamed of. Why live in black and white when you can choose the brilliance of 3D and Technicolor? Each week, Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin and their high-powered guests will be here to cheer you on, to share their challenges, their successes, and what they've learned along the way. It's all about women supporting women. The stories and practical tips on sex, beauty, money, and so much more are designed to help you reconnect to the powerful woman you are. Fabulous knows no limits. Now it's time for you to expand your boundaries. Here are Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin. Hi, ladies. This is Sandra Beck, and I'm here with Linda Franklin, and this is Powered Up Talk Radio, and we're going to be visiting today with Nigel Wellings, and he wrote a book called Why Can't I Meditate? And Linda, if I had a dime for every time I said I can't meditate, I mean, you and I have talked about this forever. You're really good at this. I have such a hard time sitting still. No, I'm not so good at it either, and, you know, I've been... I've been at it for a very, very long time, and I go through phases where I'm very religious in doing a practice, and then there's times where I don't do it for a long time. Um, now I'm back to it again, um, a kind of in a different way, so we'll talk about that with Nigel. But, um, yeah, it, just getting all of those thoughts out of your head is 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 you know, difficult, and we're not, we're certainly not the only ones that feel that way. Uh, I think that, you know, kind of turns off a lot of people toward the meditation practice because they sit there and they say, okay, um, I'm supposed to go into this wonderful place, and here I am thinking about, you know, what I'm going to have for dinner, and <laughs> they just get frustrated. Well, I'm, I'm really excited to talk to Nigel because it's been a two-year process for me, and I've got it down now, like, you know, typical OCD fashion. Like, I have to make sure I've had dinner, I take my bath, then I stretch, then I go to the corner of my bedroom where I have a mat and a little pad. I have to make sure the kids are in bed, the dogs are in their kennels, my dad is asleep, and then I can, like, meditate. But what I want to do is to be able to do some of these things without having, like, my props or my rituals and you know when I read his book and I, I watched some interviews with him talking about like fear and you know some of these things that get in the way um, I want to talk to him because I get in my own way <laughs> it's not any of these other things it's just me getting in my own way so I'm really excited to talk to him today Oh, man, me too. I mean, I think that we'll get some really, really good advice on how to really make our practice more meaningful for us. And, um, you know, I've been setting, you know, that in this newest, uh, time for me doing meditation. I've been doing it for about four months now, and I've been kind of religious on doing it every day. It's not the traditional kind of meditation or the TM that I, I had done before, but you know what? It puts me in a very, very good place. I'm, I feel good doing it. I look, I, well, I can't say I look forward to doing it, <laughs> but I do it, and then when I've done it, I'm glad that I did it. It's kind of like going to the gym. I don't look forward to going to the gym, but once I'm there and, I, and I've done what I need to do, I really feel good that I've done it, and it, it's kind of the same thing. So uh, I'm trying to do everything now uh, to get myself into a healing place, into a wonderful place, 
um, the, the healing heart thing that I'm doing. And, you know, meditation is definitely part of it because... Uh, but it doesn't, you know, what I understand, it doesn't have to be just one one thing. I mean, people can meditate doing gardening, you know, or, or taking a walk or doing something that they love to do. It's just it, when you're focused on something that you love to do, kind of other things that um, are, you know, going on in your head kind of stop because you're so focused on doing that thing. And that's a, that's to me, a, you know, that's a wonderful that's a wonderful way to to spend part of a day or or a half an hour or thirty minutes or forty five minutes or whatever you're doing just to just be out of your own way. Well, and that's a big part of it. And I want to tell everybody about Nigel's book because I got a copy here in my hot little hands. And um, first of all, you know, it's I like it because it's big and thick. Like there's a lot of meat to this. There's a lot going on in this book. And I want our audience to know that we were not paid to promote this book in any way. We just are bringing it to you because it's something that, you know, we both received and are able to use. I know I'm able to use it. And I do like that it's separated in chapters that are meaningful to me like I went right to grabby grumpy sleepy jumpy and maybe like that that, that was it that's me <laughs> right the, but you know had it been a couple years ago when I got divorced I probably would have jumped over to like the damaged heart but so uh, guys and gals listening today know that this is a resource book like this is a big thick fat book that I can see myself highlighting and keeping and referring to it's not you know it's not a hard read I'll say like I like the way he writes it's it's um it's very clear like you can read it and enjoy it and you don't need a dictionary or a thesaurus to figure out what he's talking about so you know I think when you demystify some of these things like you know why you can't meditate these are some pretty to me they're complex topics because I couldn't figure them out and it's 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 laid out very nicely so you can source it like an oracle and you can flip through it and go okay this is important for me or this is what I want to read about and there's exercises in here so I think you know as a book it comes to me like a complete program now the author is Nigel Wellings and we're going to bring him in from uh, England today I, he, I think he's in Bath I think um, and I love this Linda because you know P is my favorite letter so he's a psychoanalytic psychotherapist who well, works I want to ask him broad- exactly what that means <laughs> I know <laughs> the broadly contempt, uh, com- contemplative perspective um, you know when I bring Nigel on I'm going to tell him I was the queen when I worked in um, when I worked for the newspaper I used to write headlines all with the letter P like parchment paper proposes power play so i gotta tell you this just just thrilled me to no end i really love words and you know without further ado i would like to welcome nigel wellings to the show and um welcome how about that (laughs) hello (laughs) that was fun (laughs) (laughs) it is a lot of fun thank you very much for writing this book that's so um helpful for everybody struggling with meditation which i think most people do at one point so we're going to ask first linda wanted to know too psychoanalytic psychotherapist okay so what kind of shrink are you (laughs) (laughs) a stuffy one with a title like that Uh, So what does that mean, actually? What, stuffy? No, that I know. (laughs) (laughs) It means that 
for me, what it means is that we look back through our lives and we find patterns of hurt and we try to see how those patterns are present in the moment and how they're affecting us and get to make some different choices about whether we just want to go down the same old route yet again. <laughs> that's a simple well, way of putting it. Well, but that's, I love that because I think, you know, we all do that. We kind of carry our trauma baggage forward and it affects us in, in different ways. And I think some of that trauma baggage gets in the way with meditation, if I'm correct. Yeah, that's what the book says. Yeah, well, that's what I read, so... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what the book says. So why did you write this book? Like, you know, was it for people like me and Linda? Yeah, I guess so. Um, and me, me as well, not just you. Uh, we've been teaching mindfulness. Um, I've actually been teaching it since about 1988. I started off teaching it to psychotherapy students and then since 19, no, 2006 we've been teaching stress reduction which I know you've got lots of in the States and uh, mindfulness-based cognitive learning. Uh, we've had probably about 700 people go through those courses. Uh, we've noticed that many of those people have a great time on the course and they really want to practice and they really believe in practicing. But when they get to the end of the day, oh, I wonder if I've lost you. You know what's happening is um, we're losing a little bit uh, since you're in England and we're here in Los Angeles. If you could shut off your video, maybe we could get some better sound quality because we really want to hear what you have to say. Did you catch any of that? Nope, not a word. Ah. <laughs> you, were like, you were like Stephen Hawking, you know, like with an English accent going... <laughs> well, I can hear you okay. Well, now now it um, sounds better. Did, did you do yeah, something? That, yeah, we turned off the visual. Okay. Okay, so back to our original question is, is like, who is this book written for? Okay, so it's written for all of us. It's written for me and anybody else who's really struggling with their meditation, their mindfulness meditation. Um, and I, I think the most important thing to say is that struggling with your mindfulness meditation doesn't mean that you can't do it. It means that you are actually doing it. And the nature of being mindful is to be mindful with the things that are difficult. So we've had a whole load of people go through our courses over the years um, teaching an eight-week mindfulness program here in Bath since 2006. I think we've had about 700 people go through. And I noticed that whilst people really enjoyed the course and got something from it, at the end of the course, most of them were finding it actually difficult to keep on going. That got me interested. And the book came out of my response to that, trying to find out why they were stopping and how best to kind of help them on their way and get going again. Well, I can see that because I've done a lot of different programs and then you come home and you're like, okay, you hit your first roadblock and it's like, okay, now what do I do? And I think this book really hits a lot of different roadblocks um, that we have with ourselves. Now, I need to take us to commercial break. Uh, we're visiting today with Nigel Wellings. The book of the hour is Why Can't I Meditate? How to Get Your Mindfulness Practice on Track. And this book can be found. Um, it's produced by Tartar Paradise. 
peregrine penguin, and it can be found like in the body, mind, and spirit section um, of mindfulness and meditation. Now, when we come back from the break, we're going to learn some practical tips about not only why do we want to meditate, but um, what are some of the ways we get in our own way. I know I shared my own way. Linda's going to share how she gets in her own way, and we're hopefully going to come to some resolution by the end of the show so that we can what I call practice and peace. This is Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin of Powered Up Talk Radio. We'll be back after the break. We've got lots more Powered Up with Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin after these messages. If you could live your life truly standing in a place of peace, joy, and abundance, wouldn't that make your heart soar? Now you can with Lessons in Joyful Living with your host, Kimberly Rinaldi. Mondays at noon central, Kimberly Rinaldi, having created a highly successful coaching practice, now teaches Lessons in Joyful Living. She believes in empowering others and that through it, you have the ability to break through any and all barriers, thus allowing you to reach your greatest potential and joyfully step into your life's purpose. What used to take weeks, months, or even years, she can now teach you in a matter of hours with her programs. For more on Kim and her show, go to her website, KimberlyRinaldi.com. That's R-I-N-A-L-D-I.com. Then join us for Lessons in Joyful Living with your host, Kimberly Rinaldi. Have you heard? The pages of American Patchwork and Quilting magazine come to life on our new weekly online radio show, American Patchwork and Quilting. Join Pat Sloan, our blogging and quilt designer host, as she talks about the latest trends, ideas, and inspirations. Her guests include quilt pattern designers, authors, quilt shop owners, and our editors. All quilters, just like you. Call in with your questions. Get quilting tips from industry experts. Learn about free patterns. Hear behind-the-scenes stories from our magazines, American Patchwork and Quilting, Quilt Sampler, and Quilts and More. Get the scoop on free stuff and find out more about the best independent quilt shops in North America. To listen to a live show, tune in Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern. Just log on to allpeoplequilt.com radio. To hear past shows, go to iTunes and search for American Patchwork and Quilting Radio. We hope you'll join us because we know that quilting changes everything. We're back with Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin. Here's more Powered Up with Beck and Franklin. Hey, ladies, this is Sandra Beck, and this is Powered Up Talk Radio, and we are visiting today with Nigel Wellings, and he wrote a book called Why Can't I Meditate? How to Get Your Mindfulness Practice on Track. Nigel, I think so many of us intend to do this, and we see some of the benefits. Um, I know that when I am diligent in my 
practice. I can find my seven best reasons to meditate. I'm going to give them to you. I don't yell as much as my kids. I don't, um, I actually eat less and I eat healthier. I work out more. I sleep better. I look younger. I worry less and I enjoy life more. So those to me are my seven compelling reasons to keep up with my meditation practice. Um, but I seem to get in my own way, even though I, I know the benefits of this, I feel like I have to have everything in order before I can sit down and meditate. And I would love to be one of those people who's like in the grocery store waiting for checkout and they can like meditate right on the spot. Are you able to meditate right on the spot? <laughs> I'm not quite sure what you mean by meditating right on the spot. That's a, what, what, what do you mean by that? Well, um, I know the feeling that I want to get to in my meditation practice. Like I, I recognize that feeling. I know when I get there and I'm like, oh, this is so great. Um, but I have to have all these little conditions met. Like I need to be fed. I need to have taken a bath because if I stink, I can't concentrate. Or if my hair is greasy, I can't relax. Um, and then I need to stretch out my muscles because I tend to be a very hyper type A person. And I need to have my kids in bed, my dogs in the kennels, my dad asleep, like everything needs to be in place. And then I can fully focus on me. And I was talking to a couple other like pro meditators that we've had on the show, these teachers, and they're like, Oh, no, you can like meditate in line at the grocery store. And I'm like, Oh, hell, if I can. Okay. I think one of the things that we teach in the in the style of mindfulness meditation that, that we teach is that we're not actually trying to achieve any different state of experience other than the one that we've got. So for us, mindfulness is really about being present with the experience we already have and not trying to exchange that experience for another one that we deem preferable or better in some way. Okay? Okay. Okay. And so, I, so for me, that, that is a really big starting point. The ambition to exchange one experience for another, we actually see as something which puts a, us at war with ourselves and just creates more suffering. Oh, thank goodness. So it's you, caused so much suffering for me. Well, of course me. it has. So if you've got an idea about how you ought to be or would like to be when, when standing in the queue waiting to pay for your groceries then that's just going to create something persecutory, which, which is going to make you feel worse. It would make anybody feel worse. But if you're standing in the queue and you notice that, I don't know, that you're feeling really, really irritated because the, the type, uh, the, the till girl is talking to somebody and you've got to get out to your kids, that's where the mindfulness comes in. So you say, oh, okay, I'm feeling really irritated. That's the first step. You've noticed it. Fantastic. Where am I feeling that irritation in my body? Well, I'm feeling it in my throat, in my chest, in my guts. Okay, so I'm just going to stand here. I'm going to feel this. I'm going to be present with it and just stay with it. And then what will happen is it will either evaporate or it will be your turn to pay the till girl for your groceries and it will just simply move on. So that's how I understand mindfulness. That's how we teach it. It's not about exchanging one state of mind for another. It's being really, really present with the state of mind we already have. 
In your own country's words, that's brilliant. That is wonderful. Um, Because that was really stressful for me. I was trying to do something, you know, on direction that just didn't feel natural. It didn't feel normal and I couldn't achieve it. And I felt really bad. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot of that going on because, you know, there's all these books on mindfulness coming out now, which are great books. They're wonderful books. But they can give the impression that you've got to somehow be a different person from who you are and the reality is mindfulness starts with the person we already are and the change occurs by giving up on the ambition to change now linda you had a question i do um i'm a little i'm kind of a little lost today because i don't have any kind of uh, cues here but mindfulness yes we hear that word all the time now uh whereas even two years ago we didn't so what is the difference between mindfulness awareness and consciousness are they all are they all the same thing but just used differently or um it rather depends who's using them uh and we can chuck in another word there, the word attention. So if we just go simple, I like simple, um, every single one of us has the ability to rest our attention on something that interests us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and most of us don't have the ability to remain attentive for very long. But with practice, the the attentional span can become longer. It can become concentrated. And so attention and mindfulness are very, very closely associated. Attention becomes mindfulness when we begin to extend our attention and really notice very carefully the thing that we're resting our attention on. Uh, And, of course, as we rest our attention, that means that we're being aware. It means we're being conscious. Yes. Um, I have have another... When... when, I started to do TM way back, I think, in the 80s when the Maharishi came to New York City, and I was there, and I and went to one of his weekend seminars, and um, I you know, kind of learned as much as I could learn in a weekend about TM, and it was so funny because it was a, a Saturday, and, I, and they gave us a mantra, and they, they did a whole little ceremony, and I came home, and I was going to go into my bedroom and, and do my meditation, and holy cow. I forgot my mantra. <laughs> so I thought the world had come to an end because a mantra is such a secret secret uh, word that, you know, they really they can't share it with you. Well, bottom line is I, I did get my mantra, and I've had it ever since, um, and I use it. Um, and I think I said at the beginning of the show, I've gone through periods where I do meditation all the time and then periods where I haven't. And now that I've gone back to it, I tried TM again, but it wasn't really working for me because of the chatter. I couldn't seem to calm my mind. But one of our guests on the show by the name of Dr. Joe Gallenberger has these wonderful tapes. They're kind of meditation tapes, but they're more like exercises. And I've been doing those every, one of those particularly called the Healing Heart every day um, because it really does calm me down, and it really, and it's 36 minutes, um, and I feel really terrific when I'm done. But maybe you would say, and I don't know, is that really a meditation, or does it matter if it's putting you into the same place a meditation would? 
I know okay. that's long. <laughs> no, 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 but it's actually very clear. No, that's a really good point you, you've made. So, so the first thing to say is that there are many, many different types of meditation, and different meditations produce different results. And a mantra meditation, just like the one you described, and also apparently the tapes that you've been listening to, are specifically designed to exchange one state, agitation, monkey mind, whatever, some um, agitation, basically, and, and create a calm state of mind which will replace a, a kind of entering into a transcendental space. Um, that's a perfectly good meditation. It, it, it's absolutely legitimate. It's a great meditation, but it is different from mindfulness. Mindfulness, although it does have a calming element, it's not about trying to get us into a different space. It's about getting us to be present with the space we are already in. So in that sense, it's much more imminent. It's not transcendent. It's not exchanging one thing for another. It's being where we already are. So there's a fundamental difference there. So what you're talking about is just like me standing in the grocery store, like with the exchange of experiences. That's why, like, sometimes I find Dr. G's tapes for me really helpful because if I'm super stressed out, um, uh, Nigel, or I'm really frustrated, I can use that to change my state, much like listening to music or, you know, doing something else to change my state. Um, I like to ask a question a little bit further on this. Um, you write a lot about the damaged heart. You did. You, you dedicated a whole chapter to just the damaged heart. And when you're in pain, like I think of the time, like, you know, the same year I got divorced, my mom died after a long battle with cancer. I had like wave after wave of pain. And what I found when I would sit down to meditate is those waves would be engulfing. And I never knew if that was good for me or like like necessary or I was putting myself through more pain. Now I know we've only got two minutes to commercial break. So maybe we'll um, let that question be answered at the next break. But why did you write the chapter, the damaged heart? Was it for people like me in that state? Um, I think the whole book is for people like us in that state. Um, the how to be with difficult emotions is what the entire book is devoted to. That chapter is, is there's a little bit of controversy in the mindfulness world about whether we should address two subjects, compassion and kindness, that have always been associated with mindfulness. And in that chapter, I wanted to say, yes, it's really, really important to have compassion and kindness right up there. See, and that was that was something that was very hard for me because I was like, is it compassion and con con like kindness toward me or compassion and kindness towards the person who hurt me or left? You know, I kept getting confused in that chapter, but I need to take us to commercial break. We're here today with Nigel Wellings, and his book is Why Can't I Meditate? How to Get Your Mindfulness Practice on Track. When we come back from the break, we are going to talk about the damaged heart, and we're going to talk about how to be with difficult emotions emotions because we always have them we always experience them and linda i know you have something to say on um how to be with difficult emotions because I, I turn to you for that all the time did we lose linda oh maybe we no lost no i'm her. still oh. here i'm still here yeah yeah i just wanted to you know um Absolutely. we've got these difficult emotions and you've been really good at helping me express them okay terrific 
Yeah, okay, I'm going to take us to commercial break, and we will be back after the break with Nigel Wellings. The book of the hour is Why Can't I Meditate? So if you can't meditate, this book is for you. More after the break. We've got lots more powered up with Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin after these messages. This is for all you girls about 42. Tossing pennies into the fountain of youth. LinkedIn, it's a great tool and a great way to do business in today's social media-driven world. And Carol McManus is the LinkedIn lady with the LinkedIn Lady Show. Tuesday and Wednesday afternoons at 4 p.m. Eastern on allbusinessradionetwork.com. The LinkedIn Lady Show is designed to inform, inspire, and educate businesses. Every social media site has a specific demographic, personality, and purpose. And the LinkedIn Lady will interview a variety of guests, such as business owners who can showcase their business and talk about how they use social media, such as Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Google+, Pinterest, and of course, LinkedIn. For more on Carol and the show, check out her website, LinkedInLady.com. As trends change and new applications become available, the LinkedIn Lady Show will bring that information to you in an easy-to-use, fun, and engaging way. Every Tuesday and Wednesday afternoons at 4 p.m. Eastern, it's the LinkedIn Lady Show with Carol McManus on AllBusinessRadioNetwork.com. Secret Cuisines and Sacred Rituals is a quest, a place, and a feast. Join host Vilasi Venkatachalam every week to explore myths, mystique, old medicine, and brilliant modern solutions through a dazzling kaleidoscope of cuisines, cultures, and cures. This is the place where tribes gather, strangers and familiars, to be memory keepers and makers of our evolving, enduring, evergreen, spoken legacy of wisdom and ingenuity. In Velocity's words, when we do old things in new ways and new things in old ways, we paint with an inspired palette, weave our own healing traditions, and become our own guru. Velasi is a troubadour of secret cuisines and sacred rituals. She collects stories of wisdom, ingenuity, and grit. She believes wellness and transformation happen when you stand at the threshold of delight and discovery. She displays her hidden penchant for drama when she leads the safari at the supper club. Her favorite pastime is to extol the marvels of cuisines, cultures, and cures. To her audience in workplaces, seminars, and salons, her mantra is, be your own guru. She is a biochemist, botanist, and alchemist who likes to churn delightful, useful things from a brew of art and science, ancient and evolving, old medicine, and new cures. Join Velocity every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, only here on the WooHoo Radio Network. We're back with Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin. Here's more Powered Up with Beck and Franklin. This is Hey, ladies, this is Sandra Beck, and I'm here with Linda Franklin, and this is Powered Up Talk Radio, and we're visiting today with Nigel Wellings, the author of Why Can't I Meditate? How to Get Your Mindfulness Practice on Track. If you like today's show, you can find us at TogiNet, that's T-O-G-I-N-E-T dot com, or you can check us out on iTunes at Powered Up Talk Radio, or you can go to our website, PoweredUpTalkRadio.com, to find this episode and hundreds more like it that have to do with mindfulness, spirituality, the 
afterlife. You name it, we've covered it. And um, without further ado, I want to get back to our um, expert, uh, Nigel Wellings, because he writes this chapter, The Damaged Heart. And before we went to break, Nigel, you said that this book was was designed or written to help us be with difficult emotions. And one of the things about difficult emotions is they're so difficult. And when I was going through some, I know it's so, so funny, but it's true. Um, yep. And when I was going through my own trauma, I didn't know where the line was from like feeling sorry for yourself, not moving on, you know, moping, focusing on things you shouldn't focus on. Cause I kept getting confused going, well, if I'm still feeling these emotions, then maybe I need to focus on them till I can feel them enough for them to pass through me or go on. I got myself all tangled up and um, I would just love to know your take on difficult emotions and, and being with them. Okay. Um, you're going to find what I, I'm, I'm about to say. There's just so many people saying exactly the same thing at the moment, both from um, a psychotherapy side and also from a Buddhist side. So the way that we teach how to be present with our difficult emotions, but actually all emotions, good and bad, is is when we notice that we're feeling something, uh, whatever it is, uh, the first step is to recognize it. Many of us are experiencing all sorts of stuff, but we're not really conscious that we're we're experiencing it. We kind of we're looking the other way, but it's still going on. So the first step is to be able to go, yeah, actually, I am feeling something. Next step is to say, where am I feeling that in my body? Where can I feel that emotion in my body? And then take our attention, rest it on that place, and just simply allow ourselves to have the sensation in, in our body, breathing around it, trying to be accepting of that, of that experience. And this is the really important part. When we notice that we're whipping back to the storyline, he said this, I said that, I don't want this to happen, when is this going to stop, it's so unfair, no one listens to me, all that kind of stuff. Noticing it, dropping it, and then coming back to the sensation of the emotion in the body, breathing around it, allowing it to be there, not trying to get rid of it. Okay? So that's the method. And what will happen is that, is that eventually, either fast or short, we find that the emotion subsides and disappears. No emotion lasts forever. And and then once we do that, we need to do it again and again and again and again and again, building up that ability to drop the storyline and go to the felt sense of the emotion in our body, breathing around it, noticing it, how it comes and goes. Simple as that. Really difficult. Well, but you're talking about, like, I'm just going to translate it into, like, idiot speak over here. But you're talking about the broken record. Like, you know, I've noticed some of my friends, you know, it's a broken record. They keep going back. You call it a storyline. I call it a broken record. They keep going back to that storyline, and it elicits the same set of emotions. And then they get frustrated, and then they hurt, and then they cry. And it's like a hamster wheel. Um, and what you're talking about is to try to break the cycle. Do our emotions come first, and that triggers our thoughts, or do our thoughts come and then trigger our emotions i think it's a figure of eight but our bodies are essentially emotional bodies and emotions are more or less one and the same and so our bodies are continually creating emotions like dislike indifference and then much much stronger ones and then of course 
we feel those emotions and then we have emotions towards emotions and then we start cascades. I don't want to feel angry. I feel ashamed of feeling so jealous. You know, it's, I, I can't allow myself to be happy. So we kind of create a figure of eight and we do need to break into, what did you call it? A broken record? I think yeah. The- I think that's a great way of talking about it. So we need to break into our broken record and, uh, and say, where am I feeling that in my body? And then just letting the storyline go, letting the broken record go, and just being present. Stories that we create about ourselves. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We have these stories that we create about ourselves. And, you know, Nigel, I always thought of it about like a, you know, like a a record, like, you know, the old records or the CDs, and then it would get a scratch in it. Um, And you listen to the music. um, And then forever, when you hear that song on the radio, you wait for that skip, you wait for that, you know, glitch in there and so one of the things i tried to do and i'm curious just you know because you're so skilled at this stuff um i tried to take those memories and make a skip in it like make a scratch in the record make a scratch in the song um and then i actually added some music to it in my own head like silly music so it kind of broke up the emotion that was attached to the story or attached to the memory um does that make any sense to you it does but what and it's and it's a good and what we're talking about here with the mindfulness is actually being really present with the experience, the emotional experience felt in the body as it is, without trying to change it. Because by not trying to change it, we give it a chance for it to change itself. So there's a so again there's that fundamental difference about accepting, being present, staying with, and then the more kind of normal thing that we do, which is oh I don't like this, let's find some clever way of making it feel better. So there's a difference there, isn't there? There's really quite an important difference. Well, there is, and I find sometimes like I got stuck in certain really painful memories, and that's when I went to like scratching the record, you know, scratching the song. Um, and did I not leave long enough? Like, like, how long does this take for you to, like, feel through a memory over and over or feel through a pain? Like, you know, the pain of your mother dying, that's not going to, like, evaporate overnight. Um, so when you do this and you come to this body acceptance and, you know, feel the part that's hurting, which is usually, like, my heart um, area, did I just not give it long enough? Like, you know, is this something, you know, that happens over weeks or months or years? Well, maybe we're talking lifetimes. Um, I mean, feeling a pain in your heart because your mother dies isn't something that you want to get rid of, is it? But it is something that you might want to be able to be happily present with because it's actually a natural and, and a loving thing to have. If If you were frightened of that pain... And so you kept on kind of skipping away from it. That's where the problem would be, not having the pain, but your, but your relationship to it. Um, we talk about this as the two arrows. So we say that life is full of painful things and there's absolutely nothing that we can do about it. And perhaps many of those painful things are appropriate, like the pain of losing someone we really love. 
So that's the first arrow. We're wounded by the things that life shoots into us. And we have no... Not wanting it. Lost you again. Yep, we lost you again. So if you can repeat that last thing, that would be great. How much did you lose? Uh, everything uh, past, you know, life is very painful and these things that in life come are painful. Okay, so that's the first arrow, isn't it? That's, that's life shooting things into us, events into us, experiences into us, which we have no control over. And they're painful. Much of it is very painful. Um, the second arrow are the arrows that we shoot into ourselves, which we do have control over. Uh, and those arrows are our emotional reactions to the to the first arrow. So maybe I find, you know, my, my father dies, let's say, and I'm really upset about that and I have no control over it. Um, and I don't want to feel that upset. So I would do anything to avoid it. I would try and distract myself or make up nice stories about it. But I don't actually want to stay with the pain of that loss. So that my not wanting is actually the problem. It's that not wanting which is causing much greater pain. So if I can find a way to accept the pain, to be able to be present with it, not frightened of it, allow it to be there, then I'll stop shooting the second arrows into myself and it will be that much easier. It doesn't mean that life will be without pain and everything will be kind of hunky-dory. It means that I'll be happy to have whatever emotion I have. It's what we call equanimity, isn't it? Yeah, and it's what I call, like, don't beat yourself up. Like, don't beat yourself up for your feelings. I tell that to my kids. It's like, look, something happened, you know, don't beat yourself up over the feelings you're having. You know, you gotta got to cry, let it out, or punch it out at the punching bag. You know, something to feel it. Um, because if you don't, I know, like, I resisted a lot at the first with my mom with grief because it was such an uncomfortable feeling to feel so overwhelmed and lost and, you know, just all these feelings. And then once I sat with them, I realized like they weren't going away. And, you know, maybe my expectations were wrong because, you know, losing a parent, I was very close to my mom, you know, was extremely painful for me or somebody like my dad losing his wife of 52 years. You know, these things maybe I thought would get healed faster because of my mindfulness practice. And obviously I don't have any meter to know that, but I love what you said about, you know, life is going to shoot arrows at you and things are going to be painful. Um, when we come back from the break, I want to talk a little bit more about um, how mindfulness and meditation can ease some of these you know, long-standing wounds. Uh, we're visiting today with Nigel Wellings. The book is Why Can't I Meditate? How to Get Your Mindfulness Practice on Track. And his name is spelled N-I-G-E-L, last name Wellings, W-E-L-L-I-N-G-S. We've got lots more powered up with Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin after these messages. Information about book publishing is power. The power to change your authoring life. 
and the power to change the lives of your readers. So join us for Your Guide to Book Publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. With your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. Thursdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 Pacific. You'll hear about statistics, scenarios, and strategies on what to do now. As the book shepherd, Dr. Judith Bryles is in. And each week, she will include publishing professionals that will reveal tips and secrets to the author's journey. If there is a book in you, you want to listen, learn, and yes, call in with your questions each week. For more on Judith and what she can do for you, check out her website, thebookshepherd.com. It's your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. Brought to you by Author You and The Book Shepherd with your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. Thursday evenings at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. If you're ready for a big change in your work, your career, your happiness, your life, it's time for The Million Dollar Mindset with Marla Tabaka. Monday afternoons at 2, 1 central on toginet.com. Marla believes that with the right mindset, anything is possible. Join us as successful life coach Marla Tabaka inspires you and her clients to explore, discover, and live your dreams by developing what she calls the million-dollar mindset. Marla will inspire you to take action on your dreams and reveal secrets to success that will help you realize your own unique power. Tune into the million-dollar mindset for heartwarming stories with Marla Tabaka. Learn tips and tricks to building a successful business and unlock the secrets to creating a happier, more balanced life through abundant thinking and attraction power. For more information on the Million Dollar Mindset, go to our website, MarlaTabaka.com. That's M-A-R-L-A-T-A-B-A-K-A.com. It's the Million Dollar Mindset with Marla Tabaka. Monday afternoons at 2, 1 p.m. Central on Toginet.com. We're back with Sandra Beck and Linda Franklin. Here's more Powered Up Beck and Franklin. Hey ladies, this is Sandra Beck and I'm here with Linda Franklin and we're visiting today with Nigel Wellings, the author of Why Can't I Meditate? How to Get Your Mindfulness Practice on Track. Now this is something that I want to talk to Nigel about because there's a lot of self-help books out there, especially if you're struggling, you know, from loss, like the loss of a pet or the loss of a family member or spouse um, or the loss of, like in my case, my mom or, you know, many of us have gone through foreclosures or all sorts of difficult things. And one of the promises that was made to me in a couple of these books was that I could heal better. I could heal faster. And Nigel, you've got a very, very powerful take about healing better and healing um, faster with respect to our emotions. Yeah, um, I think what I've said is that emotions are natural. We're, we're continually being emotional. And the problem isn't actually being emotional. That's natural. That's how we derive a sense of value through our emotions. But the problem is, is that most of us actually can't be present with many of our emotions because we're frightened of them. They're just too powerful, They're just too overwhelming. We don't approve of them. And if we practice mindfulness, we can turn towards those emotions and befriend them, accept them, allow them to be there, feel them in our bodies, and it will be okay. So it's a kind of way of just making friends with ourselves. And what you're talking about is, is, is like you're not talking about acting on these emotions. You're talking about recognizing and feeling them and acknowledging them, um, not necessarily letting them fly for everybody who's around. 
No, I'm definitely not saying that. Because that would just be acting them out, wouldn't it? And many of us act out our emotions actually as a way of not feeling them. Nature gives us two ways of dealing with emotions we can't deal with. One is either repressing them, that is unconsciously not allowing ourselves to know that we're feeling them. And the other way is to completely identify with them and just do anything that the emotion wants. So the emotion has us rather than us having our emotions. What mindfulness does is it goes down the middle of those two and it says, let's be really, really conscious and fully aware of what we're feeling, but at the same time not let that, those emotions necessarily generate behaviours which are then destructive to ourselves and to others. Well, and this brings me to something like interesting. I just want to ask, and I know, you know, you're the expert. I'm not. I'm just, you know, the the person that experienced it. In my opinion, um, I find that there's people who repress them, people who get engulfed by them, you know, and they just make it their whole world. But then there's like a, another set of the population that takes their emotions and makes them yours. And, you know, I was married to a guy who he could have a really bad day and then he would accuse me of having a bad day. And unfortunately I'm like little Mary sunshine. I pop up in the morning happy and I'd be like, I'm not having a bad day. And the things that he was feeling was kind of put on me like a jacket. And I think there's quite a few people that seem to put whatever they're feeling on you and then accuse you of having those emotions when you're just kind of sitting there going, Oh, well, I'm, I had a good day. (laughs) I mean, that's a part of the people do that. Yeah, in my business, that's called projection. It's uh, Again, it's another way of not feeling something, isn't it? We can't bear to feel it in ourselves. And so we maybe project it into somebody else and then criticize them for having it. Yeah, and I would sit there going, like, am I in a parallel universe? Because I just had a great day at work and came home, and all of a sudden I was told, like, I'm being crabby and upset and feeling this way and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I really had no idea what was going on. Linda, are you with us? It's hard for me to see um, Skype is not playing nice today. No, no, I am I am having a wonderful time just listening to you two, uh, and I didn't want to interrupt. So, yeah, I mean, it's really wonderful information. I know that when I'm, you know, in that place, and you call it a broken record, and I call it kind of Groundhog Day. You remember that movie where, you know, yeah. the, he wakes up every morning and the same thing just keeps happening and happening. So um, I think, you know, we kind of have to realize sometimes that that's what we're doing to ourselves. So I don't, I don't shy away from... Um, the emotion that I'm feeling, I try to just look at it because um, I feel everything that we're experiencing in life is there for a reason. Um, and if I can kind of figure out what the reason is, sort of like mindfulness, then then it's going to ease it's going to ease it up. Is that is that am I wrong in thinking like that? Ease it up. What does that mean? Well, that means, I mean, I don't want to go through Groundhog Day. I, I, you know, my job is to, I, I'm hoping to advance so that I'm learning and, and being able to, uh, I mean, I think that the, what we want to do is we want to, we want to be happier in life. We want to be more loving in life. We want to feel that we have a purpose in life and that, you know, we're here for a reason and it isn't to, to kind of dwell in our own stuff. We want to kind of, Look at it, understand it, and and try then to figure it out. Yeah, yeah, of course that's right, absolutely. Yeah, one of the ways that um, the mindfulness courses talk about this is uh, is another one, which is automatic pilot. 
that most of us are driven along by automatic pilots. So that's automatic thoughts, emotions, behaviors. And, uh, and we just kind of react out of those automatic pilots. Um, and they often create an enormous amount of suffering for ourselves and everybody around us. And so yeah. by be, becoming conscious uh, through your practice of mindfulness, you can exchange unconscious reactivity for more conscious responses. And hopefully the responses will be wiser and kinder. Yes, I mean, I know that, you know, since I was a kid, if I'm, if I'm in fear, then I lash out. That you know that that's I don't even think about it. That's normally what I do. Um, and you know, as as an adult, you know, decades and decades later, I realize that when I act like that, I, the, the the basis of that is fear over whatever that thing is. And so, I try I'm, I try to say, oh, you know, to understand it, and then say, you know, well, there's really nothing to be so afraid of. Go go down another route because if you know you're going to go down the road, you always go down. This is going to be the result, and you don't like the result. Yeah, and that's a. I mean, that's a great way of using your rationality to address your fears. I think um, if we go back to mindfulness, then we have a slightly different approach there. So whilst that's really good, absolutely great. Um, we can also do something a bit different. We can say, okay, so I recognize that I'm feeling frightened. I realize I'm being really crabby. Uh, I know that's probably to do with fear. So what's going on in my body right now? And then taking our attention, feeling into the inside of us and just noticing what's going on there and then staying with that felt sense and just being present with it. And that way we actually make friends with the fear rather than trying to rationalize it out of existence. And I think that's probably a much more powerful way of dealing with it because anyone who has really been confronted with very difficult emotions will know that their rationality isn't much of an armor against it. Well, do you find that it's like for me, like, like I have this funny thing, Nigel, you know, when I got divorced, uh, you know, I went through a financial crisis, like most divorced women, I had little babies, and I had to feed them and I would could barely pay my mortgage. And I got really frightened to go to the mailbox because it was always ugly things like from the attorneys or the courts and bills I couldn't pay. So I have this like weird thing that happens when I get the mail. And you know, it, even if it's a check, my heart starts to pound. But if it's a pile of bills, now, I have the money to pay my bills comfortably. But I still get that like weird old like oh my god you know these bills and then I don't want to open them and they sit on my desk like a little like you know burning fire over in the corner till I finally deal with them um but I notice that I get really frightened and I try to breathe through it and go they're just bills you have the money to pay them breathe breathe they're just bills they're just things on paper um how do you rewrite that? Like, I, I try to sit with the feelings. I recognize it. I know that they're not real fears. They're like leftover fears. You know, where do those go? Yeah, you've been left with a little bit of a trauma, haven't you, from um, from, from the post at that really difficult time. Um, the method for dealing with trauma small big trauma is much the same as I've been describing but I think what happens for many of us when we practice mindfulness um, we actually begin to get in touch with a level of feeling which much of it or some of it may be traumatized um, at that time it's really helpful to go to somebody who knows how to support and hold us in a place of mindfulness with relationship to that trauma 
and, and can help us move through it. It's very, very difficult to do it on our own. And I think it's really interesting that, that just about most of the newish cutting-edge treatments for trauma, like EMDR, for instance, have a very, very large um, component of mindfulness within them. They're basically mindfulness processes. Um, so, yeah, mindfulness still works, but sometimes when we really hit trauma, it helps to have somebody who can help us hold the frame of mindfulness as we learn to move through those experiences and, um, and convert them into ordinary memory, not trauma memory. Because, I, you know, the reason I share that, Nigel, is a lot of people think trauma is because you got in a plane crash or you were in a war. And, you know, I don't think many people, I know I didn't um, until I started really, Linda was so great about getting me to read a lot of this stuff, to realize that something, whatever's trauma to me might not be trauma to you, but it doesn't mean it's any less more, like, or less traumatic. No, that's absolutely right. Absolutely right. Trauma is basically fear which has got stuck in the system and isn't able to move through. It's, it's kind of frozen and we need to defrost it and help it move through. And that means we have to be we're back to the two arrows again, aren't we? Most of us are frightened of traumatic stuff. So we need to defrost being frightened and help it move through. Nigel, where can people buy your book? Because I think this is very helpful for a lot of people. Um, I believe it's just been published by Tarcha in the States on April the 12th. It's been here for um, a year, but you've just got a new version with a bright yellow cover, which I've only just seen and are somewhat surprised by. <laughs> well, I have a galley copy. I have an uncorrected proof for limited distribution. So I'm, not, I'm going to get on Amazon right now uh, while we're still on the air and find out, like, why can't I meditate uh, and see what the cover looks like. And uh, Oh, we've got one minute. I better be fast. Oh, yeah, it's that same cover. It's bright yellow. Mine's um, kind of gray-blue. <laughs> yeah, you have a gray-blue, but the birds are the same only. In your case, your like, little bird flying out of the cage is yellow. We've kind of got reverse colors here in the States. So, Nigel Wellings, Why Can't I Meditate? How to Get Your Mindfulness Practice on Track. $13.73 on Amazon Prime. You're going to want to check it out. This is a great book. It's a great book to have in your resource library. I'm going to be honest with you. It's probably not something you're going to sit down and read cover to cover, but it is a great resource and you can pick it up and start learning and improving you know your life today nigel williams thanks for being with me linda franklin thank you for being my lovely co-host we'll be back again next week we're so glad you joined us for powered up with beck and franklin sandra beck los angeles-based single mother and technology company owner knows what it's like to be fit funny and fantastic in your 40s Linda Franklin, a New Yorker with a successful marriage and 